everyone, welcome. 7.15, this class starts at 7.15 each Wednesday, starting a new semester and a new class that I'll introduce tonight. And we'll go for 14 weeks uh, together through this, this semester. So welcome. Class always, all my classes always start out with a bunch of people. <laughs> and then they end with me and three or four of you. <laughs> You're laughing, I'm telling you. We'll get three or four weeks into it, and I'll say, look around. About half the people are here, but hope springs eternal that you guys will keep coming back. That would be, that would be great. So this is an evangelism class. Most of you knew that when you signed up. It says out on the door that it's called a good soil uh, evangelism. Now, before I get into the material that we're going to use and how it's structured and all of that, the first thing I want us to think about is why it is that God wants us to evangelize at all. Now, when we say evangelize, we mean give the gospel, verbally give the gospel to other people. Uh, euangelion is the Greek word in the New Testament for evangelize and evangelist. And euangel, so angel, you get, we get angel from that, or messenger. And then with that prefix you, like in eulogy or euphemism, it means you're saying something good, something happy. And so evangelism is the good news, the good message. And evangelists are people who give that, that good message. Uh, and so we sometimes call the gospel the good news for that, that reason. So there is uh, the gospel, which is good news, and those who spread the good news are evangelists. And here we are taking a class on evangelism to learn that message as succinctly as we can and how to distribute it as, as best we can. But just back up a little bit and think uh, to yourself, why does God want people to spread the news. To put it another way, why don't you use some other method? Seems like it might have been a lot more effective than using you know, boneheads like me. I won't speak for you. you know, but, but God has put in our hands to carry his message to, to other people. And that's primarily how people get the messages, through evangelism carried out by evangelists like, like us. So why, why would God involve us? I mean, we know that the Bible says that that's necessary, but I'm saying why? Why did God make it necessary? You know, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. But then it goes on to say, but then how can they believe unless someone tells them? And some, or someone is sent to tell them. So God has designed it that way, but, but why? why do you, have you ever thought about that? Why, why choose this? Why choose us to do that? You know, why not just show up individually to people? God could do that. He's done that with people in, in history. And he could give it to them directly and better. Any thoughts about that? I'm hitting you with it uh, cold, I understand. Now, it's not stated in Scripture as to why God has chosen evangelism and people like us to be his evangelist. It just says, this is what you're to do, and so that's good enough for us to obey God. But I'm just challenging us to think about some possibilities as to why God would have chosen us. He does tell us with other things that he requires, why he requires them, but not with this and not, and not with everything. 
So sometimes God gives the, um, the fancy term, the, the proximate reason for what he tells us to do. That is, prox- we get proximity from it, the near reason. And so God says, do this because. But there's always, in addition to the proximate reason, when one is given, there is always the ultimate reason. So let me put the question a different way. What is the ultimate reason, the ultimate purpose for which God does everything? Okay, all right, now we're getting warm, right? Yeah, to to bring glory to himself. That all things that God does and all things that we do are to be done for the the glory of God. God made the world, for example, for his glory. Now that requires that we remind ourselves what we mean by, by glory. That God's glory is the display of his character the display of what he is like. That's why, he, that's why he created the world. And that's why, when you look at the creation account in the opening two chapters of your, your Bible, you see that God creates the first man and woman, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. The be fruitful and multiply piece, the Bible tells us elsewhere, is because God wants to see his glory all over the place. So he makes his highest creature in humanity in his image, to reflect him back to him. And then he tells them, I want you to reproduce people in my image to reflect me back to me. I want to see me everywhere. God wants to have mirrors that reflect him back to him all over the place. So he made the world for his glory, the the display of his, his character. Everything that God does is done for that ultimate purpose, even if the proximate reason is something immediate. The ultimate reason is the glory of God. And so that's true for evangelism as well then. Why involve us? Why the evangelistic process? It's to bring glory to God. And evangelism brings glory to God in a couple of ways. One, it turns mouths uh, that curse him to mouths that praise him, that bring glory to him. So it glorifies him because people are converted. They come, they come to God. But it also, and this is the part I think we, we don't think about, it also glorifies him in that when you and I engage in evangelism, it reminds us, or it should remind us, of the character of God. Because as we're going to see as we go through this class, the success for our efforts in evangelism is completely dependent on who? I mean, you know, you, so you did, I hope you didn't come here to learn how to be slick. <laughs> right? But, but many people think that. They think that evangelism is dependent upon how, how slick I can present it. But it's dependent on God. You can be very affable. You can be very loquacious. You can be very articulate. You can be very knowledgeable, you can explain it very clearly, and someone does not not receive. Because it's dependent on God moving on. Okay, that brings glory to God when you're dependent on Him. And then when you're giving His message, you're being regularly reminded of all of these character qualities of God that are bound up in the message of the gospel. So I'd suggest to you that the reason God requires that we give the message is it's a way... For us to further be forced to think about who God is and the glory of God 
And so as we go through this class, we're going to, we're going to see the, the character of God displayed in the gospel. Now, that's one question, preliminary question. Why evangelism? The ultimate answer to every question is to bring glory to God, and this one's no exception. Second question is, why does our church take time to train then in evangelism? Well, it's because, and many of you have been through our, uh, many of you are members of our church, some of you are not, but you've been through our newcomers orientation class in the notebook for that class on page 17, although I don't expect you have the page number memorized. There is a single page uh, diagram of our church's philosophy of ministry in, in a nutshell and the things that we believe we need to offer in order for folks to grow in Christ. And so our mission statement is to help people learn about God, love Him and others, and live for His purpose. And then we have ministries designed to help with all those, learn, love, live. The live piece includes doing this. Living for His purpose includes being an evangelist, giving the, the message, praying about and being conscious of the people that God has brought into our sphere of influence so that he can use us as his instruments to bring people to himself. So that's why we have a, a class like this. Now, why the particular material that we're going to use? We're going to pass out some stuff here in, in just a bit. But back in September, uh, Brother Keith Bass, some of you know Keith, he is our uh, outreach coordinator. And he and I in September went to Pennsylvania and underwent three days of training in this material. And I had stumbled upon the material some months earlier. We have over the years used a number of vehicles for, for training and evangelism. They all have their, their strengths. They all have their weaknesses. This one intrigued me, and so he and I went out there. And we decided uh, to, to use it. Uh, and this will be the first time we're using it. So you guys are our guinea pigs. Congratulations. But we're using this particular material because it provides content. It provides content in the message of the gospel. We want to make sure that everybody knows the gospel cold and knows all of the components that go with it. And so that's one of the things that uh, impressed me about this particular material, that it does focus on that content. And it also deals with some important issues that some evangelism material uh, and training material does not like, trying to gauge where the person that you're dealing with is. And therefore, what's the, the best thing for you to emphasize to them, given where they are? As you, as you look at, in scriptures, you look at evangelism and evangelistic encounters, you'll see that there's not a one-size-fits-all methodology. You know, Jesus speaks to a, a rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 who uh, is very self-righteous. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Good master, what good thing can I do to inherit eternal life? You guys remember that? Some of you do? Now, if you're, if you're doing a package deal where you're a salesman in evangelism, you would look at this and you would say, This looks to me like a hot prospect. He's asking me, what do I need to do to go to heaven, in effect? So now I'm going to go through my sales pitch with him. But remember, Jesus doesn't do that. He, he, the guy says, good master, what good thing should I, can I do to inherit eternal life? And here's Jesus' response. 
Why do you call me good? There is no one good except God. Well, seems to me he's blown that opportunity. <laughs> and now, do you see what's, what Jesus is doing here? The guy's self-righteous. He thinks he's good. And Jesus says, you call me good, but the truth is there's no one good except God, ultimately. And we both know you're not God, so what's that mean? You're not as good as you think you are. But nevertheless, he says, go and sell what you have and come follow me. And the guy went away sorrowful, remember, because he had wealth. And his God was actually his wealth. And Jesus showed that to him. But then you've got a woman at, a well, at the well. And Jesus encounters her, and she's a woman who's not only not self-righteous, she's ashamed of her past and her present, for that matter. And Jesus takes a different, a different approach to her, completely different. So we gauge where the person is. We're going to give the same message, but we're going to have different emphases on that message depending on where the person is. And the material that we have here helps us a bit to, to do that, gauging where the person is. And it also does something that a lot of evangelistic material does not do, and that is it assumes the relationship between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is the process of, of someone coming to Christ, coming to faith. And that's what we want to be used as instruments for, is to see people do that. But then there's sanctification. That, that word means to be set apart. And it's a gradual process where somebody grows in the Lord and they are gradually set apart from the world and, and to God. But those things are connected in the Bible. That you don't have people in the Bible who gain salvation but don't pursue sanctification. People who truly come to, to faith in Christ grow in, in Christ. Grow at different rates, but they nevertheless grow. And the material that we have here assumes, assumes that. So this is called good soil evangelism. And we said in the uh, advertising for this class that you may have read on our, our website when you registered for it, that good soil evangelism will equip students to share God's story of redemption chronologically. So we're going to go from the front of the Bible to the back and then call uh, major themes that need to be presented for folks to uh, make a, a choice of, of Christ. Good Soil Evangelism will equip students to share God's story of redemption chronologically so that people will clearly understand, sincerely embrace, and firmly hold to the gospel. Participants will learn how to make relational contacts, evaluate others' worldview and gospel knowledge, and to present Christ accurately. We're going to, as we go through this material, we're going to cover the story of the Bible broken into eight major themes. So hopefully by the time you're done, you will have those eight major themes memorized. The eight major themes can actually be broken down into four as well. Um, and many good gospel presentations uh, help people to remember by simply saying, this is what you got to know. you got to know about God. you got to know about humanity. You've got to know about Christ. And you've got to know about the response. God, humanity, Christ, 
response. Those, those four things. But this covers those four and actually expands on those in an eight. And so you will know what's behind those themes having gone through this material. Now, that's all the stuff I like about the material. That's why we're using it. And I'm glad you guys are, as I say, our guinea pigs. But uh, when we went in September to Pennsylvania for the training, they were very, very, very big on uh, playing games to help you memorize the stuff. <laughs> and like you gather into little groups and you draw like pictures and stuff. So I just want you all to picture me being there. And so I go all the way out to Pennsylvania to get trained in this and I go into this thing and I'm sitting at this table with uh, seven other people, eight at a table, and it's gonna be that for three days. And the content, as I say, was ultimately you know, good but I, um, how, how do I put a fine point on it? I hate that. <laughs> Back when I worked for a living and I would go to conferences and they did that kind of stuff, I always, I always hated that. Now, uh, I don't know, maybe you got, I don't know if some people apparently like it because they do it all the time. They do it in work settings. They do it in, I've gone to conferences as a pastor for years and they always, and they always do this sort of, so they tell me that when I present this, I'm supposed to do that with you, but I'm not. Okay, I'm skipping the I'm skipping the games. And 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 here's the other thing. So that I got two criticisms. That's the one, the games, but I'm eliminating the games. But but also in the one of the two books we're going to give you, uh, workbooks, they have religious art. And there are a few things worse than religious art, actually. <laughs> I mean really. I I hate religious art, man. And so here I am, and here's the, this is the page on the fall of Lucifer. So this is, you know, the angel of light who becomes Satan and falls down, down to earth. But they've got a, they've got a picture of him, and, and it scares me, okay, when I, <laughs> when I look at it. So just give up on the religious art, okay? I mean, I mean God is not, there's no art in the Bible. You know, God, it's written page, okay? So tell me the deal. So that's what I'll be doing. I'll be telling you the deal as best I can, and then you can write it down if you find anything that you think is, is worthwhile, okay? So we do have uh, material. Now, the material that you're going to have is going to be two workbooks. The main one is going to be this, and it's you know, fairly thick that we'll go through. And then in, in the midst of this, though, as we go through it at a certain point, we will start going through the content of the message with the second workbook, the story of hope. This is the one with the, the art in it, okay? Uh, but, as I say, the content, I think, is, is good. So you'll have, you'll have both of these. Now, we were waiting until this past Sunday for folks to register before we ordered the books, and then we're ordering them two-day FedEx so that they're, they're here because we wanted to know how many we needed to order. And the reason how many was important is because this thing is 25 bucks. Now, ordered in bulk, they were 18 now, to you, they're free. If you're a member of our church and you, and you give on Sunday, this is your giving dollars hard at work, okay? <laughs> so it's not really free. You're paying for it that way. But, in, but here's what happened. FedEx doesn't get, me the, doesn't get me your book. So here we are without your book. The good news is I've got the first lesson because I complained to them, and they said, fine. We'll send you the first lesson. You can print it out, and then your books will arrive, okay? So would a couple of you guys help me? 
If you'll go over there, thank you. Yes, yes, I think so. I think we have enough. Yes. And if you need a pen, I have some. Anybody need a pen? Okay. These are the community Bible pens that we give out all the time. Okay. Yes, sir. You're welcome. Anybody pen? I always like your pen. All right. Yeah. Yes. We haven't reached our 13 total. You what? We haven't reached our 13 total. Okay. Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody's got a handout. And we'll be looking at page four. And everybody who wanted a pen got one. And some people who didn't need a pen said, like Marie, she says, oh, I love your pens. Give me, give me another one. So I gave her another one. But here's, here's the problem. Uh, our church is filled with CBC pen thieves. <laughs> and, there, and there are CBC pens hoarded at people's homes. Oh. Yes, and so I sometimes say that we're going to have a Sunday that we call Amnesty Sunday, <laughs> where you, you can just bring, bring the pens back. And if you were here last Sunday, you'll know what I mean by this. You can put them on the altar if we... <laughs> So, page four, why good soil? You guys see that at the, at the top? So here's this parable from, from Jesus, bottom left. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on, and here's the idea, good soil, on good ground, and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him let him hear. And so you have uh, Jesus giving this, this parable about the necessity of, of good soil. And there are three words that are used in three different passages that our friends who put the material together uh, highlight. In fact, if you look at page 5, And on the left side, you see the, the three passages. You've got Matthew 13, from which I just, I just read. But then you've got Mark chapter 4 and then Luke chapter 8. That's all along the left side. You all see that? Mm -hmm. 
And I want you to notice something important about this chart, that they're numbered uh, from the bottom up. So Matthew has number one there, and then Mark has number two, Luke has number three, and the arrow goes upward. So what we're going to see about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13 is foundational for the other two to happen. You're going to have to have good soil in order for these other things to, to happen. And so we want to take a little bit of time to, to show that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passages. You see down at the bottom, we'll start with the bottom one, Matthew chapter 13. And to the right of that, you have Matthew 13, 19, you've got Luke 24, Acts 28, and then another passage from Acts 28. So I'm going to read for you those four. And after I read each one, then look to the right and you see the four things that those are describing. So pick the one that's being described. Now, you're not going to be graded, okay? And if you hate this, believe me, it could be worse. We could be playing games, okay? <laughs> so Matthew uh, 13, 19 says, When anyone hears the, the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So which of those do you think we have going on here? Yeah, I, any thoughts? Okay, you guys don't want to say. All right, go with D on that. All right, D, 1D. Yeah, go with 1D on that. But Luke 24 says this, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Now, here's Jesus in Luke 24. He's talking to his first followers, the apostles. They knew a lot about the first part of the Bible, the Old Testament. But it's not until Jesus opens their understanding that they, that they, put, it, that they put it together. So what do, you think, what do you think of the other three? Yeah, B. Luke 24 is B. Sometimes people with a lot of Bible knowledge do not understand. They don't put it all together so as to make clear sense. And then here is uh, Acts 28, 26. Go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive. So here is Paul, while he's a prisoner in Rome, he had a significant ongoing evangelistic ministry with, with Jews. Some were convinced that Jesus was the Christ and their Savior. Others would not believe. And Paul likened that to what God told the prophet Isaiah. He's actually quoting there in Acts 28, 26 from the first part of the Bible and the prophet Isaiah that some people who hear God's message continually will still never understand it. So you have Acts 28, 26. Which one of those? That would be A. All right, so can anybody get the last one then? 
Yeah, and Acts 28, 27, For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So that's continuing the passage in Acts 28, and the quotation from the prophet Isaiah. And Paul applied that principle of God's warning given to Isaiah to the situation at hand in his own ministry. The hearts of the Jews who chose not to believe Paul's message were calloused, willfully closed their eyes and their ears and their hearts to God's truth, and had chosen not to, to understand it. And so that last one, of course, is C. Sometimes lack of understanding is a calloused or dull or hard heart problem. So the first thing that people have to do then is they have to, they have to understand. And that's why this parable of Jesus from Matthew chapter 13 is foundational. Understanding is absolutely essential. If you don't have understanding, you can't have an embracing and acceptance or receiving of the, the gospel message. So whatever we're going to do with regard to evangelism, we're going to have to make sure that we understand the message and that we impart enough knowledge for someone else to understand the message. So we'll move on here in a moment, but let me give you an illustration of how important this is and how uh, well-meaning people can run afoul of, of this. When I was a, a young adult, I was in a church that had a weekly, what they called calling or visitation program. Do you guys know what I mean by that? So it was set a night a week. It was Tuesday nights. So in addition to Sunday night, we came out on Tuesday night and Wednesday night. Um, I was leading our young adult group as a young adult, so we had other nights. So I had my nights filled up. But Tuesday night was calling or visitation. And we would go door to door and witness, give the gospel to, to people. And so we would go out in uh, twos, and then we would come back to the church, and people would talk about how it went. And people would uh, talk about how many people, you know, trusted Christ, came to Christ. Now, we, we had like dozens of people trusting Christ like every week. And our church kept getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> so these are people, if they're, if, they're, if they're acknowledging something, they're not doing much with it, apparently. And so that began to bother me. I didn't know much at that point, but I just thought something is askew here. And as I say, I was leading the young adult group. Uh, but one of the young men, that uh, a young man made a profession of faith. Two of the men in our church who had gone out for calling picked this uh, young man up hitchhiking that night. And they talked to him, gave him the gospel, and he responded in some way. So they gave me his name because I was the young adult guy. And uh, they'd gotten his number. I called him. I said, hey, this week we're having a young adult event. He said, I don't have a car. Dusty was hitchhiking. And I said, we'll pick you up. And so Kim and I went and picked him up. And I was all excited to have this, you know, this young man, my age, our age, come to the Lord to meet him and talk to him. So say, I, I hear you came to, came to Jesus. He goes, yeah, you know, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. This is a quote. How do I know Jesus existed? And I'm thinking... Oh, okay, maybe not enough content was given. <laughs> right? For him to have some understanding about what he was doing. 
And yet that is a lot of times there is so, there's such a desire to see somebody close the deal, seal the deal, uh, make the sale in effect, that not enough content is, is given for an informed decision to be made. So understanding is crucial. It's foundational. That's why we'll spend time going through the Bible to get these themes. All right. But then in the middle of page 5, you have Mark chapter, Mark chapter 4. And Mark chapter 4 is giving the, the same uh, parable that Matthew 13 did, but with a different emphasis. These are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, 30-fold, 60, some 100. And that idea of accepting, receiving, is used in a number of passages. You see three of them in the middle there, Acts 15, 1 Timothy 5, Hebrews chapter, chapter 12. So here's, here's Acts uh, chapter 15. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. So you see that phrase, they were received by, by the church. So that's the first one there, A, carries the idea of welcoming something or someone into one's presence, a warm and friendly reception. So what's being said here then, if a person, once a person understands, then our hope and prayer is that that person will welcome, warmly receive Christ as their Savior. That's the, that's the idea. That's the way the word's being used. Then you've got 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 19. It says this, Do not receive, there's the word again, an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. So that's C there. It's used to describe the action of accepting something as being true and valid. So in that passage it said, Don't accept it, an accusation against a leader in the church unless you've got absolute proof. But here it's our hope that having been presented the gospel and there's an understanding that they will accept it, receive it as in fact true. And then there's the last one, Hebrews 12, of course, then is um, the, the middle one, B. Hebrews 12, 6 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. So this is also be there, used to describe the act of adoption when a father lovingly acknowledges a child as, as his own. So those all give you an, a shade of idea of what it means then for somebody to understand but then to, then to accept, you know, to, to warmly receive, to accept it as, as being true, and then to have a, and desire and welcome a relationship with. And then lastly, you've got up the top there, this third thing that should follow if someone understands and they accept, receive, and that is they hold on, hold on to. So you've got 1 Corinthians, uh, well, first Luke chapter 8 and verse 15, top left of page 5, top left. The ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word of God with a noble and good heart, they keep it. Bear fruit with, with patience. So this idea of keeping or holding on to with the same Greek word is used in three other passages. 
Here's 1 Corinthians 11.2. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. So let's see there. It's, pra it's a praiseworthy thing for believers to hold on to the teachings that have been passed on to them by those who present them. So Paul had established some God-ordained traditions in, the ministry, in his ministry of church planting and maturing people in the faith. The church in Corinth was carnal and it was weak in some ways, but apparently some of the members of that church held fast. They held on tightly. They kept the traditions that God delivered to them and Paul praised them for their faithfulness in that regard. In the same way, true believers or followers of Christ hold tightly to the gospel which they've clearly understood and embraced for salvation. And then you've got 1 Corinthians 15. It says this, By this you were saved if you hold fast that word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And that's B. Those who are truly saved will hold firmly to God's word. So remember what I said about the connection between salvation and sanctification? The people who are saved will then grow if you're truly saved. And that's what this is saying. Those who are truly saved will hold firmly to God's word. And they will seek to, feeble though it is, they will seek to obey it. And then, of course, the last one is A. And that's Hebrews 10.23 that says this, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So that's A. Our human role is to hold fast. But the encouraging thing is to know that God's role is to remain faithful to the promises that he's given us. So there's a human perspective and a divine perspective in a believer's salvation. From the human perspective, we're told to hold fast, hold tightly to what we have professed. There's human effort that God expects of us. The good news is that God's promised to be faithful to the salvation he promises that he's given, even though our capability for holding fast falls short of being completely adequate. All right, so you guys see on that chart then that you've got those, you've got those three things. You've got understanding, you've got acceptance, and you've got, you've got keeping. And so understanding means I get it. And accepting means I need this. And keeping or holding fast means I will not let go. And that's what we want to see with people. I get it. I understand it. And then, by God's grace, moving in their heart, they move to, I need this. This is for me. And then, because of God's working in them, they lay hold of it. They keep it. And they move, they move forward. So those are the kinds of converts that we, we want to see. And if you look at page 6, then, in your notes, what that involves is these three things, again, on the left, going upward. Understand, embrace, and retain. Understand, embrace, and retain. So I get it. That's understanding. Embracing, this is for me. I need this. And then retaining, I hold on to this. I won't let go. Now notice on the right side of that scale, going upward, though, 
you know, on the left side, the understanding, the embracing, the retaining, that's all the human part. That's all what, what the individual is to do. They need to gain understanding. They need to embrace, welcome, accept, and they need to retain, hold on to. But then on the right is what God does in order to make all that possible. So what does God do to make understanding possible? You see on the right, bottom, revelation. God reveals, God, God makes known. That's what revelation means. Now, where has God given this, revealed this information? In, in the scriptures. It's the gospel message. That's why we're going to go through the scriptures and we're going to go from beginning to end because God has revealed his message in the book. So don't get the idea when we talk about revelation here that God appears to somebody individually and gives them a message that is somehow their own private thing outside of the Bible. It's found in the Bible. God gave us the book and it is through the book that we communicate this understanding to people. So our role is to give the information so that people can understand at the bottom. But God has made that possible by giving us his revelation, giving us the information in Scripture. And then if the person understands, it's our hope that they won't reject, but rather will embrace, will accept. And what's God do to, to make that happen? You know, the person embraces because they say, I need this. This is for me. And the Bible teaches that God performs a work of conviction on the heart of the person. I become, the person becomes convinced that this is for me. So they're convicted and then persuaded, convinced that this is what I need. I need to act upon what I have heard here. Conviction, as is used in the Bible, in a similar way to the way it is in our legal system. So uh, you are convicted of a crime because you violated what the law says. And as we're going to see when we give the gospel message, that's part of the message. It's not just that you need God in your life because he'll fill a void that you don't currently have. I mean, he does do that, but it's not just that, and that's not even really what the Bible emphasizes. What the Bible emphasizes is, hey, we have all broken the law. We've all sinned. And so we have to present that to people, that we have, that we have sinned. And so it's our hope and prayer that the person is convicted then, that they are internally convicted. Now, how can, how can that happen? How can a person become convicted that, yep, I'm, I'm a sinner and God's judgment abides upon me because of my sin? How can, how can that happen? Well, only God can make that happen. That's why it's on the God side here. Okay? God produces this conviction. If God does not produce this conviction, then people blow it off. Well, you know, nobody's perfect kind of thing. We all make mistakes, but conviction grips the heart of the person, and God does that. So we present the information, and it's our hope and prayer that God then convicts the heart so that the person says, yes, this is for me. 
I need this. They embrace it. And as a result of that, the person is uh, the person repents and trusts. And this is another thing that I like about this material. Is notice in the middle there it says repents and trusts. Uh, repentance is part of the gospel, as we'll see. That the person is convicted and the person says, I need to go a new direction. That's what repentance is. A change of mind that leads to a change of direction. And God changes the mind, moving upon the heart of that person so that they repent and they believe that Christ is the solution then to this problem of sin that I have. So they repent and they trust, believe. And that's God moving on the heart in, you see in the middle there, regeneration. Now that's a you know, fancy term, but to regenerate means to make alive. And God makes the spiritually dead person spiritually alive. That's what regeneration is. So there's an understanding. That understanding comes by revelation. We present that. In presenting that, we're reminded the whole time about the character of God, the glory of God, so it glorifies Him, just in us being reminded of all of that. And then for those who come to Him, it glorifies Him because He now has yet another person to live their life for Him and use their lips for Him as well. Regeneration, God, make, God makes alive. And then the people that are made alive then show the fruit of life. Living things grow. And if somebody is spiritually alive, they grow. And so you see sanctification there. They, they retain. So that is what we want to, that's what we want to see happen. Now you can see this filled in some more on page seven. And again, start down at the bottom. Human spiritual responses. And then there's our roles as the evangelists in the middle. And then there on the right, there's God's, God's roles. Now, with regard to those human spiritual responses, uh, you know, overall, the material's good. I'm not a big fan of the God vacuum down at the bottom. I mean, it's true. It is true as far as it goes. It's just that there's been so much stuff in evangelical circles about your heart, you know, being, you know, there's this heart-shaped void that only Jesus can fill or something like that. Am I getting that right? Okay. You know, so, but see, the problem with that, the problem with that is that it emphasizes what you're deprived of it emphasizes deprivation rather than depravity. Uh, let me say it again. It emphasizes deprivation rather than depravity. It emphasizes that our problem is something that we're missing when in fact our problem is something we've done. 
Now, because of what we've done, yeah, we're missing a bunch of stuff. <laughs> but don't start with what you're missing. You start with what we've done. We've offended God. We've sinned against a holy God. And that has to be remedied. And then as a result of that depravity on our part, all of us, all of us come into the world that way, as we will see. Then, yeah, there's the, the vacuum. I'm missing all kinds of things. The world doesn't look right. Nothing works right. I'm using God's world for my own ends. All of that. Okay, but if you can get over, and I've gotten over, you know, the God vacuum thing. And I just explained it to you, so, okay. But if we can get over that, the genius of this is that, notice it starts with the minus 12, and then they've got, you know, these 12 things. And what they're trying to do here is to gauge where the person is. You know, if, uh, is the person... Does the person believe in God? I mean, that's number 11. You know, if the person says, I, you know, I don't believe in, in God, well, then we might want to spend a little time here uh, with that. We'll show them what Scripture says about that. And then if we can help them with that, we'll, we'll try to do that. But you want to gauge where they, where they are. Do they believe in God? You know, are they angry with God? Did they have something happen in their life where they're... Uh, that, so they're, you know, 11 steps away, figuratively. But, you know, they're a little bit closer if they sense uh, a spiritual emptiness. You know, I know there's something more to this life than what I've got going on. But I don't, I don't know what it is. And I don't know why I'm groping around kind of in the darkness. Well, we can help with that, right? We can tell you that. Seeking to, to fill a personal uh, spiritual void. So they sense it, but now they're actively trying to seek to do something about it is the idea. That's a step closer. Now, okay, that's, that's all good. They believe, in, they believe in a God of some sort. They have, they have this, they're seeing the consequences of sin in their own life by these voids that, that they have. But that makes them vulnerable to false religious beliefs. So on the one hand, it moves you closer because at least you're reaching out. But you're open to whatever answer you think might fit. And so we encounter people like, like that. And so we want to then gauge that. We want to try to, to deal with that. Uh, if the person you know, is, is reaching out to... Um, a God that's in effect made in their own image, then we want to correct that from, from Scripture and show them that there is one true God. And, Lord willing, they come to acknowledge that, that there is only one true God. Now, let me just stop here. You could, in fact, it won't be, it won't be unusual for you to encounter somebody that actually is at number seven, minus seven. I mean, they start there. Right, so I'm not suggesting that you go from the bottom up because not everybody starts at the bottom. Some people will be at number seven. They, they realize there's one true God. Maybe they grew up in church. Right, so you're trying, to, you're trying to gauge that. Or they've been exposed to other Christian concepts. 
They're interested in knowing more about Jesus and the, the gospel. Maybe they understand some basic gospel concepts. Now you see that one, it's small font, but understand some gospel concepts has an asterisk next to it. Can you see that? And by the way, that word is asterisk. Did you all know that? That's how it's, that's how it's pronounced. It's not asterisk. People sometimes say asterisk. And my, my job here is to correct <laughs> things that people say wrong. Did you, did you know that you don't have a prostrate gland? <laughs> that would be a prostate gland, okay? I got a million of them, okay, that I could go through. These are just pet peeves of mine that I've just... All right, anyway, there's an asterisk. And if you look down at the bottom of the chart and the asterisk, basic gospel concepts. And remember I, I mentioned these eight things? that we'll go through, that you could reduce down to the four, here are the eight. God, man, sin, death as divine judgment because of sin, Christ, the cross, including his resurrection, faith and life, spiritual life and eternal life. So as we go through the class together, we're going to see from Scripture chronologically those things. And as I say, those eight could be whittled down to God, humanity, Christ, and, and response. All right, so that was uh, minus four. Then if you go back up to negative three, sensing personal spiritual conviction, confronted with the need for a faith response, and then understands that, hey, I'm giving my life to Christ. Co counts the cost of a, a faith response, believing in who Jesus is and what he has, has done for us. All right, so... That's the idea. You go from you know, minus, you gauge where the person is, and you try to uh, give them from God's Word information that will help them with, with each of those. That's the human spiritual responses. In the middle there, there's our role as the evangelists. We're tilling, we're planting, and then by God's grace, reaping. So we're tilling, you know, you're just making contacts with people. You see number one there, model, love, and pray. So you're, you're making contacts with folks, and you're modeling the love of Christ to people, and you're praying for them. Lord, open doors for me to be able to be your instrument in the life of this person. That's what, that's what number one is. Um, but then as you, as you get to know them, and the Lord does open doors for discussion, now you lovingly, you know, you're not in your face. So when it says, you know, challenge their core worldview, some of you going, yes. <laughs> so this is not in your face evangelism. That's not what we're doing. This is good soil and you're tilling. But, you know, you're, you're challenging the, the core worldview and you're, you're helping them with that. We'll see how to, to do that going forward. And then if they are already or through... Uh, your efforts, God gives fruit, and they move further up the scale. Well, now you're starting to plant the seed about Christ. Teach these gospel concepts that, again, are down at the, the bottom, about who God is, about who humanity, our condition as fallen creatures, and so on. Establish the uniqueness of Jesus. In our day, that is a, a huge thing. You know, the, 
that Jesus is Jesus the only way. The Bible teaches that that's the case. Oprah says no. Who are you going to believe? The Bible or Oprah? I mean, I, I, I can, I'll never forget seeing Oprah being so adamant. That can't possibly be the case. It can't possibly be the case. Because there are people who have not heard about, about Jesus. Never, it never occurred to, to Oprah, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> that folks come into the world having rejected God. And therefore, God is under no obligation. This is not, you, as an evangelist, coming in the sphere of someone with the truth is an act of grace on God's part in their life. And so you establish the uniqueness of Jesus. You're planting the seed. And then the reaping portion. Clarify, answering questions. Personalize it. Hey, this is, you need to do this. You need to trust Christ. And turn to him. And then, Lord willing, they, they do that. They repent. Now, none of that, you do all that stuff. And this is what we're going to talk about. You do all of that. It all comes to naught. Unless the things on the far right happen. That God convicts and God regenerates. But God is pleased to use the efforts of his people for his glory in order to, to do this. And so the whole time we're praying, Lord, take my feeble efforts, my feeble explanations, and use them in the, the heart of this person. All right, so you've got these three things. You have the understanding, you have the embracing, you have the retaining. I get it, I need it, I hold on to it. In this class, it's an evangelism class. So we are only dealing with the first two of those three. So you see the chart again. In the middle, the person repents and they come to Christ. But then above is Numbers 1 through 12 positive now. And notice, you know, it's gray down at the bottom, so you're like in the dirt. And then, okay. and then something sprouts. And so now it's green on the top. So things are growing because there's life. That's the idea. But this is people then growing in their walk with the Lord. They're now become a Christian. But that's not what we're doing in this class. This class is about evangelism and getting them to the point of coming to Christ. These guys who put this material out have materials for that section as well. But in my humble opinion, the stuff we have at our church for that is actually better than their stuff. And so we're just doing the first half of it in here. Okay? All right, that guy gives you an idea of what it is we're going to be doing. Next week when you come back, the six of you that come back will, <laughs> will get this, and then you'll also get this workbook, which will be the one that goes chronologically through the Bible, and we'll proceed, okay? Thanks. See you next week, Lord willing. Thank you.